We are so glad that you are, you guys are here this morning. Uh, welcome to spring in Kentucky. Don't worry, it'll be 70 and 48 hours. We're all good. It's all good here. I, I'm really excited today because uh, probably I want to go ahead and, and uh, take care of finishing probably one of the worst kept secrets in Shelby County uh, over the last month or so. Uh, but we had to do some things a certain way. So here's the deal. I'm excited this morning to finally be able to say uh, welcome our new worship pastor. Pastor Stu Embry, who's playing keys today. Uh, and we've been working as uh, Stu and his wife Allison and three boys uh, are just a great, great family. Uh, Stu's led worship a lot over the last 20 some years for the last decade or so. Uh, he's been a mainstay uh, at Southeast Southwest Campus. That just sounds so funny to say, but out on Dixie Highway, uh, he's been one of their main worship people. Uh, and so the next three weeks, he'll kind of be here on Sundays around the 1st of April. Uh, he'll start with us full time and we are really, really excited. But I'm excited about what God's going to do today uh, in worship, in this service, and the things that we know he's got planned. And then you throw on top of that the things that we don't even know about yet that he's got planned, that he hasn't revealed to us. It's going to be a great morning. So here's the deal. We want to, we really want to invite uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit to really uh, move people's lives today. So I'm going to invite you to do a couple things. I'm going to invite you to stand up. I'm going to invite you, if you, if you, if you can do it, to maybe move a little bit to the to the center and i understand if nobody wants to sit in this section right over here i get that completely martha's a martha's a wonderful person but you know in fact if somebody wants to come and save martha that'd be great too but we're glad you're here tell some people hey scoot again let's worship this morning have a great day in the house of the lord
you can have a seat. This time our service, I think sometimes in, in churches people wonder why, why communion and offering, they're always together. Why is, why is that? Well, because they're really all both about the same thing. Both our time of communion and our time of offering are all about giving. Now, with our offering, it, it's kind of the obvious uh, giving money. And in, in our situation, we do it a lot of people. In fact, well over half of the people make their gifts online, and that's fine. But we have the offering boxes, and several of you guys, several people make their, their gifts here. And it, it's, but for us, even giving, even the financial giving, it's really more an issue of generosity, of understanding how blessed we are. How blessed we are, and because of that, how much we want to help others. And so in the next few moments, if you haven't already done so, we have that opportunity during this time in the service. At the end of the morning, I'm going to give you a couple other generosity opportunities uh, that we have. But communion is all about giving, too. It's about what was given to us. And, and my fear sometimes with communion is that, for, especially for people who have been in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ for a long time, it can become routine. It can become something that we just assume, we take for granted. It's one of the reasons I kind of like the way we do it now, where people come and get their own emblems, can have their own quiet time, and really reflect on what's been given to them. Some of the things that we do sometimes and we, we take as routine is remembering how much God gave. God gave His only Son for the purpose of reuniting us. For the purpose of us being able to spend eternity with Him. For everyone who believes, not just some chosen select few that got lucky and got, no, everyone who believes. That's what John 3.16 says. Has the opportunity to spend eternity with a father that gave his only son. So this morning as we share in this time, I want us to focus on what's been given to us. And what we can give back generously in response to what's been given to us. And to share in this time and be thankful. We've got offering uh, boxes and communion stations all around the room. So after I pray, uh, feel free to make your way. If you haven't already gotten your emblems, feel free to make your way. Grab the emblems, give an offering, uh, and let's worship. That's part of our worship. Let's worship today through a time of communion and offering. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us enough that you gave us your only son, that whosoever believes in you should not perish but have everlasting life and help us not to take that for granted or to roll through this time just because it's this time in the service. Help it to be something where we really focus on you, how much you love us, how much we love you in return. And we respond during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
There's a table that you prepared for me In the presence of my enemy It's your body and your blood you shed for me This is how I fight my battles There's a
like we're defeated when it feels like there's no hope you surround us thank you Jesus in his name I'm 100% convinced that when history books are written and the last two years of history are analyzed and recorded that history will show that one of the longest lasting repercussions, devastating repercussions of everything that was done to combat COVID will be the harm of isolationism. The harm of being alone. Feeling alone. Thousands and thousands of people have been forced to suffer the mental anguish of being sick, and being all alone, nobody around, far too many cases dying alone. Families, some of our families were unable to mourn with real closure. Many families had to forego funerals completely or at the very least wait extra days. Being alone, being isolated is devastating. Now, this social isolation and, and, and loneliness, those, those things have been here forever, right? Those, those things have been here for, forever. People have had to deal with those issues forever in their life. But COVID brought it to the forefront. Efforts to um, reduce the, the virus's spread, whether effective or not, included things like stay at home, quarantine, social distancing, and they've exacerbated what psychologists tell us was already a very, very serious problem. 28% of Americans live alone, and this means that they had little to no human contact in their lives, and especially over the last two years, maybe for months and months, and regardless of their their situations, interactions with anyone outside the home was so limited. Isolationism is horrible. A preliminary survey suggests that within the first month of COVID nineteen, loneliness loneliness alone increased by twenty to thirty percent, and emotional distress tripled. And these surveys are still ongoing and it's still really early in this recovery process to know 
But this has been a devastating thing. And the unfortunate reality is that many men and women live their lives of isolation every day, regardless of COVID, regardless of other things that are going. It's just how they are forced or how they sometimes choose to live. And it's devastating. In this series that we've been in that we've entitled, God, Where Are You? Where Are You, God? We've, we focused on an analogy of what the end of time was going to be like that Jesus gave. And the six qualifiers that Jesus gave for God's judgment. Let me remind you those. I'll read from, from the message uh, from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on the right, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in, in his kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. And here's the six qualifiers. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was homeless and you gave me a place to stay. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. And then these last two that we want to talk about today. I was sick and you stopped by to visit. I was in prison and and you came to me. And, And he will answer them. I tell you the solemn truth. Whoever failed to do one of these things to someone who has been overlooked, ignored, isolated... And that was me. And you failed to do it to me. See, sick and in prison, those last two qualifiers, the the result in the harm that is done, a lot of the harm is done in that is isolationism. It's been used as a tactic in war for centuries. Separating people, taking prisoners of war, putting them into isolation because it does what? It breaks their spirit. It breaks their spirit to survive or to to move forward. And so we need to dig into these things, but I want to do it today under this framework of how do we combat this idea of isolationism? Because oftentimes we are, and we've seen especially over the last couple years, maybe more than any time in our lifetimes, how we can become isolated by our health. Now, understand this involves both our physical and mental health there have been times that that we just physically can't can't get out even at young ages in life that that we break a leg or something happens and we're just we're down for a while we can't get out and and, but for the most part for most people at the very least there's some family around while we're healing and, you know, if it's, if it's when we're a child, then our parents or grandparents are there and they help us heal during that period where we can't get out in, in public. But what about mental health issues? People that are just trapped. Trapped sometimes in their own mind and it's nothing that they really can control. And unless you've been there, you don't understand that feeling of complete helplessness and i'm convinced of this i'm convinced that when jesus said i was sick and you came to visit me blessed are you for doing that or i was sick and you didn't come and visit me cursed are you for that i'm convinced that the call from jesus is not for the ordained or for the anointed it's for the saved 
This calling to visit those who are sick and are hurting is for anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is sharing this message with his disciples, which includes us, to go to the sick. I was reading an article this week by a guy named Brian Croft. He said, visiting the sick will not slide easily into our schedules. It will interrupt our plans But we must not grow discouraged or frustrated. We must take heart. As we are intentional in our calling to visit the sick, we can trust that we are engaged in a divine, divine task. Souls are being loved. They're being nurtured. We ourselves are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The gospel is being revealed through this ministry. And get this, God is being glorified. See, the power, the power of the human touch is amazing. But for a while, we were told to stay away. Early on, we were told, and don't touch anything or anyone. And and we were convinced that that was going to save us. But not just sick people, anyone, anyone. Leprosy had that same dynamic in Jesus' day. Leprosy was the thing that if you got it, you were cast out. You were sent to the outside of the city. You were by law told that if anyone even approached you, if they didn't see you and they approached you, you had to scream, unclean, unclean. You know, think about that. That was the terminology, unclean. But but basically what people were forced to say was to shout out to anyone they saw, I'm dirty. I'm dirty. I'm less than perfect. I'm not okay. And when people heard that, they veered the other direction. You're already hurting. You're already not feeling well. And instead of people coming to encourage you, you have to warn them, stay away. Stay away. It feels eerily familiar to the last couple years there was a opportunity that jesus had it's told it's a story that's told in matthew chapter 8 if you want to look it up it's at the very very beginning of matthew chapter 8 and jesus has been going about and doing his thing and teaching and and it says in verse 2 a man with leprosy get this i mean this is this is so countercultural. everything that happens here a man with leprosy approached jesus he broke all the rules. <laughs> he was by law, he was by law supposed to yell out and warn Jesus and anyone else, he's unclean, he's dirty, don't come close to me. But it says, a man with leprosy approached Jesus and knelt before him and said this, Lord, if you are willing, I know, I believe that you can heal me and make me clean. I wonder how this leper had that much faith. I I wonder what prompted him to A, believe that, and B, actually approach Jesus. 
Maybe it was the fact that he knew that probably because of the leprosy, no one was going to come up and grab him and pull him away. They didn't want to touch him. I wonder if he had been in the shadows when Jesus had healed somebody else. I wonder if he had seen miraculous things happen. And and somewhere in his inner being, he just thought, that could happen for me. Jesus could change my life if I just can get close enough to talk to him. Master, I know you can heal me and make me clean. And then verse 3 is amazing. And if you're a highlighter or underliner, there is one word in verse 3 that you need to make as bold as you possibly can. Jesus reached out and touched him. Of all things, all things, Jesus did the unthinkable and touched a leper. And then he said, I am willing. You're healed. I don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us the spontaneous moment in which it happened. But in my mind, I'm pretty convinced that the healing happened the moment Jesus touched him. The moment Jesus went beyond what human and societal traditions said was appropriate and touched him because instantly the leprosy was gone. It didn't say that he started feeling a little bit better, but instantly it was gone. God has an amazing way of coming in and taking the isolation. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Naaman who had a disease, probably leprosy. It was a skin disease and he was willing to do anything. And he, he had great power and great wealth. And so he was willing to pay whatever price. He would go to the nicest house. He'd do whatever. But he hears about this prophet that could, could maybe from, prophet from God that could maybe do something about it. And so he makes his way. Long story short, I'm summarizing. He gets in front of the prophet and he's told, go back over to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Completely go under seven times. What? That's the nastiest river? That's a, are you kidding me? I can't do that. that. That's what you need to do. And, and so he doesn't want to do it. And his servant then talking to him said, if they'd asked you to do some great thing, would you have done that? Yeah, well, why won't you do this? So they go. And, and, and you got to get this picture. Because the biblical account of it is, Naaman gets to the river and he walks out into the river and I just, can you imagine? I just got to see him standing out in the water going, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. There goes something nasty floating by. This is crazy. This is going to heal me. This is going to make it worse. All these sores, they're going to get infected. This is crazy. And then he just like when you're jumping into the pool for the first time in the spring, one, two, three, go. And he goes under and he comes back up. Now, I know. And you know that when he came back up out of the water, what was the first thing he did? Still there. A series of events happens and five more times, Naaman musters up the courage and goes down under the water and comes up and nothing, nothing. Why in the world would he keep doing that? 
Why in the world would he keep doing that? But he does. And that seventh time, just like the prophet had done, that seventh time, he goes out under the water, he comes up out of the water, and oh my, it's gone. And now he can not feel so isolated anymore. Yeah, he had a servant, but that servant probably hated being with him he didn't have a choice but to be with Naaman but their relationship developed to the point that he encouraged him this guy in Jesus life comes to him and asks for healing and Jesus touched him he touched him a lot of you guys in here know the Bill Gaither song very well this is, it's the, this is the inspiration for that song. He touched me. And all the joy that fills my soul. It's different. You know, even Job's friends, Job's friends get a really bad rap, and deservedly so, because once they started talking, they said some really dumb things. But Job's friends who didn't really understand what was going on, didn't understand God, understood that when they heard what had happened to Job, they understood that he didn't need to be alone. And they immediately went to him. Job chapter 2 verse 11 says, when, the three, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Now the Bible goes on and tells us that they spent the first seven days just in silence with job that was actually the best thing they did for job the whole time because after the seven days they started talking and they said some really really dumb stuff like well job you know it's because of your sin that this is all happening to you they they put all the blame on job as if there wasn't an adversary that was doing something then they 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 really kind of came into the moment and created a even worse situation by the charges and accusations they are making. But for seven days, those first seven days, they got it exactly right. They heard that their friend was hurting and what had happened, and they went to him and just sat with him. The power of presence is often the thing that someone needs the most when they're sick and isolated, just knowing that they're not forgotten. The, the book of James tells us not to suffer illness alone. Here's what the book of James says. It says, are you sick? If any of you are sick, you should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Since you're sick, call the elders of the church. Let them come to you. That's their role. That's their primary role as an elder in the church is to pray for the needs of the people. They end up doing other things, but there's nowhere in here that says that elders should sit around and make policy and make decisions. It says they should pray. But here's the deal. They don't know to pray unless you tell them. Where did we in society get to this place where 
we don't want anybody to know what's going on in our life. We don't ever want to share our hurts. We don't want to ever share the, our illnesses. We, we, we want to suffer in silence and then get upset because nobody came. It doesn't, figure that out. Just separate yourself. Figure that out. We don't want anybody to know, but we want everybody to know. Those two don't work together. They don't work together. So I'm going to give you, as we finish up talking about this particular one, let me give you three action steps really quickly so that you don't feel isolated when you're sick. Number one, number one, let someone know when you're sick at home in the hospital, in the nursing home. Because here's the deal, if it's hospital or nursing home, these HIPAA rules, they're not allowed to tell us anymore. You got to tell us. So, so let, us, let somebody know if, if you're sick. And along with letting know, let someone know if you actually want a visit or just prayers. Either one's fine. Just let people know. So they'll know how to respond. And a third thing you may want to consider doing is if you feel like that you kind of are blessed and feel like you can be a blessing when you go to those that are sick and hurting, now that we can actually do that again, (laughs) uh, we're putting together a visitation team of volunteers who are willing to go to people's houses, willing to go to hospital, willing to go to people, uh, the nursing homes. And if that's something that you kind of like feel comfort in being able to know you've been able to do, there's a sign-up sheet back at the sign-up table. And Bobby's going to head up a group of people that can just help see people, help follow up, and not leave anyone alone. Not leave anyone isolated when they're sick. There's another qualifier that Jesus gave here, and that's this whole issue of prisons. Isolated by our crimes. There was, in 1971, there was a professor at Standard, Stanford, excuse me, Stanford University, who decided to do a research project that has now been referred to as the Stanford Prison Experiment. He took a bunch of male students and he divided them into two groups. He divided one group that was the larger group that were then to act out the role of prisoners and another group, a smaller group, that were to act out the role of guards and to watch over them. They stayed in a building on campus. They set it up and looked like and feel like a prison. Prison. The guards wore uniforms. The prisoners uh, were, were stripped naked and sprayed down and made to wear hospital gowns without anything else on underneath. And let the experiment begin. After just a few days, the guards no longer saw their fellow students, the the guys they had sat next to in class, the guys they had lived next to in the dormitory. dormitory, They no longer saw them as fellow students and friends, but only saw the prisoners and referred to them by the number on the gown that they were given. They had lost all identity they treated them harshly and inhumanely and this experiment was supposed to run for two weeks and they were forced to cancel it after six days six days from being maybe best friends to being in the role of guard or prisoner and abused because of that 
Some of the follow-up research showed that some of those men, young male students, who acted out the roles of the prisoners, suffered long-term psychological distress from just those six days and how they felt at the end of those six days. See, the reality is there are mistakes that are made, but the reality is that most men and women are in prison for a reason. They did the crime, now they're doing the time. And and hitting rock bottom is often what prods offenders to take an honest look at their lives and cry out to God for mercy. And here's the beautiful part. God's ready to give it. God's ready to give it. In the book of Psalms, here's what the psalmist wrote. He said, some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And so he subjected them to bitter labor. They, they stumbled, there was no help. And then they cried to the Lord in the midst of their troubles. And he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. And he let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down, I love it, he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through the bars of iron. What do you see? When you see someone that's in prison, maybe you don't get to see them personally because you haven't gone. Maybe it's somebody you don't even know. You see it on TV. You see the news and you see a situation of someone who has committed a crime and been incarcerated for it. What do you see? How do you see that person? Because how you see them often determines, in fact, almost always determines how you treat them. Why do you think Jesus, in this six, this list of six qualifiers that are going to be the reason and the way that the, the king, the master, God, d- divides people in the end of time? Oh yeah, I was in prison. And you visited me. Why do you think Jesus includes that in this list? Bill Cox has written a book called Meeting Jesus on the Mar- or in the Margins. And he said, Jesus knew that the second we deny the humanity and sacredness of the most marginalized, we begin to close a spiritual door in ourselves and eventually lose our own connection to the light. Ultimately, we lose our connection to our fellow human beings and to God. Go to prison. Look into the eyes of another and see yourself and your God. That's what Jesus wanted for us. Because as you do unto the least of these, you do also unto me. So here's, here's I think, just a, a two-part strategy for, for handling this. First of all, we need to pray for the prisoners God is actually working with. Now, I've been in jails and prisons quite a bit. And quite honestly, there are some that they ain't nowhere even searching God for God. But a lot are. 
And so praying for church members and others in prison with whom God is working is something that we can all do and we should all do. And if we personally know someone in prison, we can pray in greater detail. And here's why. Because James said it this way. He said, the prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Another way of saying that, the prayer of the, the, prayer of the righteous is a powerful and effective tool. Some of us have a lot of power tools in our spiritual bank and we're not plugging them in. Can you imagine trying to saw with a power saw without plugging it in? Trying to cut a tree with a chainsaw without pulling the cord? It'd be, it'd be ludicrous. People would laugh at us. And yet when it comes to this issue of prayer, that's how a lot of us are functioning. We've got the greatest tool in the world. It's time to plug it in. And what if we plugged it in and prayed for some of those that are hurting the most in our world? The Apostle Paul spent time in prison. We read about it all through the second part of the New Testament. And he deeply appreciated those who were praying for him when he was in prison. Now, granted, the Apostle Paul was in prison because they were trying to break him down. And it was for religious reasons. And that's very seldomly, at least in our country, why a person is in jail or prison. But he talks about in the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, how much he appreciated the prayers of those who were lifting up. And when we're praying, let me, let me encourage you with this. When you're praying, you know of someone that's been incarcerated for whatever reason, and you're praying for them, don't just pray for them. Pray for their families. Because there's some other people that are hurting deeply during those times and those moments in life. And the second thing we do is whenever possible, whenever possible and however possible, we can visit prisoners. Now, I want to compare Matthew 25, 36 and 43, which is the good and the bad of seeing those in prison. Jesus said, you did it or you didn't do it. I want us to see in verse 36, Jesus said, you came to me. You see that there in verse 36? He said, bless you because you came to me. See, the, 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 the implication there is that's a very intentional, well thought out decision to check on someone, not just run into someone who knows them at Walmart and say, oh yeah, I'm praying about it. No, you made a choice to come in some simple way, an easy and practical way that doesn't necessarily involve physically being in the presence, but is taking the time to write letters, to, to, to write letters to encourage in that way and verse verse 43 though jesus used different wording though it's the same concept about going or not going but he said you did not visit me and the meaning of the greek word there uh is that it means to visit but not necessarily in the english meaning it means to care for or look after take care of it would involve that whole idea of writing something and writing an encouragement because the, the reality is literally visiting arranging a visit inside a prison that's a that's a lot more complicated i mean the, even local jail you can't just show up and say hey i want to go in if you do at best you're going to get the phone and glass but to be able to actually go back in that's that's a little bit tougher that's a little bit more difficult to get that clearance but i'll also tell you this is i've had that clearance for a long time but once you go in you better be a little bit tougher mentally too. 
Because even if you're just going for the visit, man, when you hear that door shut, it gets your attention. It gets your attention. You go over to LaGrange and you go all the way back in the middle to that tower in the middle of the prison in LaGrange and you're back in there deep. It gets your attention. And so you better be kind of, if that's something you feel like God's calling you to do, great. We'll, we'll help facilitate that, but uh, you, you better have some, some mental stability to do that. Think about what it'd be like if you had to be there for days and weeks and months and years. That's why those people were brought up by Jesus. They need to be remembered. So they isolation doesn't kill them without them getting the chance to deal with their greatest isolationism see we a lot of us are going to suffer the isolationism of being sick being hospitalized a few of us are going to deal with the isolationism of being in jail or in prison but guys listen to me we are all all of us are isolated because of our sin. Patients have beds and meds that keep them in isolation. Inmates have prison bars that imprison them. But guys, there's other kinds of prisons of our own making. What are, what are you imprisoned by right now? What is it right now that's got you locked up? Marriages that have lost love and become hardened and cold and restrictive, maybe have been unfaithful and they become like this prison cell. Sometimes our success and our wealth dictates how we spend our time and our money and we're held captive by that. For many, drugs, alcohol, other addictions, the kinds of things that we love to keep hidden, but they still control us, desperately control us. Sometimes it's just the the fear of the unknown that keeps us locked up in our present circumstances, even if it's not healthy. I think that's that's part of this these last couple of years we've been the fear of the unknown, and I can't do this, and I do that. What if I do this? And I, listen, here's the beauty of all of that: if you know Jesus, none of it matters. That's the beauty of it all. Resentment and inability to forgive others imprisons us in our own hard hearts. And we're unable then to to welcome a, a, a person in the name of joy. Whoever we are, we are imprisoned by something in some way in this area of sin. I know that. Because the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in prison. We're taken captive by the hollow philosophies of this world. Sin. Sin is a problem for every person in the world. Sin's a demonstration of a sinful heart. Paul wrote to the Galatian church this. He said, the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, 
might be given to those who believe. Without a doubt, I think we'd all agree that these kinds of isolation are no fun. In fact, they're horrible. It's awful. It's awful to be confined to your house or to a hospital or the nursing home. It's awful to be confined to a jail cell or a long-term prison cell. It's awful to be confined to the misery of our sins. And the worst case scenario is the isolation that comes from an eternity totally separated from God. It's called hell. It's a result of evil. Bobby's going to be teaching about that this morning at 11.30 in our Theology 201 class. We make all kinds of excuses. We claim we can't help it. We claim we're the victim. Somebody else did it. With the very first sin ever committed came the blame game right along with it. Well, the the woman made me do it. Well, the the snake made me do it. Yeah, somebody made you. No, No, you did it. God is still God and his word is still his word. That's the reality. God is still God and his word is still his word. Now you can choose to believe that or not. But you can make up your own God. And hide from the reality of the God. But understand this, there will be a day of reckoning. People are making excuses saying, well, I think, I think the Bible's changed. I think my God is a loving God, so he accepts this. No, his word hasn't changed and he hasn't changed. And you don't want to be isolated from God. So here's the deal. When God calls us, our initial focus was to stop our sinful actions. When you accepted Christ, your goal was to stop lying, stealing, cheating, being immoral, breaking the Sabbath, whatever your thing was. But after we stopped those sins of commission, doing wrong, after that, then pleasing God depends more and more on us overcoming our sins of omission, neglecting to do the good that we're called to do. This issue of isolationism, you came to me, I think maybe the best thing we can do for prisoners of any kind is to help them never become one. Help them live their lives in a way that's surrendered to the one who sets us free. The one who gives us hope. I worry so much about this idea that we've got time. We've got time. I talk to people individually. People come to our Pathways group or talk to some of the other staff. And I know I need to accept Christ. I know I need to get baptized. I'm going to do it. When? There's no guarantees. And as terrible as I'm convinced that isolation is, ism is in this world I can't 
imagine eternity without Jesus. Let's get it right. Let's get it right with Jesus. Would you guys stand? As we worship and we sing together, I want to challenge you to pray for those that need Jesus. And if you're one of those people, let's get it right today. Jason's back here at the decision room. Uh, I can talk to you after service, but let's get it right today. Come on. In the valley, know that you're with me. Surely your goodness and your mercy follow me. So my weapons of praise and thanksgiving. This is how I fight my seeking hope many of whom feeling isolated the church is the answer so we're glad that you guys are here today if it's your first time please stop out at the i'm new wall we've got a gift for you it's out in the lobby uh, if you've been coming for a while and haven't made that step to become part of the church uh, pathways is a week from this tuesday night you can stop over in the next step room right over here and people can help you figure out how to get signed up for that don't forget some of the opportunities to be generous. I mentioned one of them in the service, and that is to join our visitation team that we're putting together. The sign-up sheet is back there in the back. Another opportunity to be generous today is we are three weekends away. It's hard to believe spring break is almost here, but we're three weekends away from our team headed to Guatemala for spring break. We got 18 students and leaders, and they are having a breakfast this morning right now over in the gym. It's donated only so if you want to go over and get a great breakfast and leave a donation it helps them uh, make this trip possible and they'll be over there serving that uh, until about 11 30 right when the third service starts they'll start cleaning up along with that i mentioned bobby teaching our 201 theology 201 today starts at 11 30 so here's a great idea if you want to hang around do some other things and then go to theology 201 go get breakfast right before that and they've got it in takeouts and 
so you can bring it up here and have that during that. Uh, so that's another opportunity to be generous. Probably all of you by now have heard of the uh, tragedy that our brothers and sisters at Grace Assembly of God uh, suffered on Monday night, losing their entire um, building. Daryl is a dear friend of mine, their pastor, and he called me that night and said, would you just start praying? Our building's on fire. And so we've been talking all week, and I had offered our building to them, um, but the movie theater, which is out on that end of town where they are, graciously offered them space, and so they're meeting there, but they're going to have some financial needs. And so over the rest of this month, if you would like to, if you feel led to contribute to helping make a difference, helping them rebuild, cover some costs that insurance won't cover, things like that, uh, you can just leave an extra donation in the white buckets around the room. And for the next three weeks, anything we get in those white buckets will go to that. Um, one other opportunity you have today is out in the lobby. Uh, Roxanne Perry from Fellowship of Christian Athletes is out there, and they're doing a bottle drive. They like we used to do with the baby bottles. They've got water bottles, athletic bottles, and for the next four weeks. Uh, they're collecting chains. So if you want to stop out there, grab a bottle, and just for the next four weeks or so, uh, throw your change in it, bring it back. It's a great way uh, to help them and some, make some bottles of change that will help change some young people's lives. And ladies, last thing, on the last Saturday of this month, which is just a week from, uh, two weeks uh, from now, uh, March 26th from 9 to 11, there's a special women's event over in the stew, our women's ministry, which is called Own It, uh, which stands for our women's network work in truth all right own it uh they're having a special event uh and you can sign up for that at the table in the back or you can get online on facebook and place like that and sign up it's going to be a great morning of worship fellowship uh teaching testimony just some really really cool things uh, for the ladies of our church uh, march 26th thank you guys for being here let's go out and look for people maybe that are alone and hurting let's love god let's love people let's change the world see you guys